John Wick Chapter 2 expands the mythology of the first film, and offers even more unrelenting action sequences. It even throws in a friendly face from Keanu Kino gone by. Welcome everyone to the Collector's Cut. I am Peter and joining me as always is David. Uh, humor me with just one question. Are you here for the Pope? This is a movie podcast. We get together and we talk about movies. We are working our way through the John Wick series in time for John Wick Chapter 4. This is going to be Chapter 2. We did the original last week and we're back for uh, John Wick's second adventure. Um, will there be more vengeance? Will there be more... I was going to say bodies, but I mean, dozens and dozens and dozens of bodies may be a more accurate uh, question. <laughs> nope, it's completely peaceful. John Wick finds his inner peace and he doesn't kill anymore. The yeah, end. He spends the movie meditating, yes. He's, a, he's like a yep. monk in this movie, he doesn't really do anything, quite right. Yep. Uh, so, we all start spoiler-free, as we always do, although it is a sequel, so it is worth mentioning that there'll probably be some casual spoilers to the first one as we even talk mm -hmm. about the, the setup to this one, because just, you know... Naturally, it picks up pretty soon after the first one, so there are some very natural ties to it. Yeah, it's like an indiscriminate amount of time later, but it's clearly within, I'd say, probably a month at the absolute longest. Yeah, I would have guessed like a week after that. <laughs> but yeah, it's, you know, a few days later feels, is honestly my guess if I was to yeah. pinpoint it. But yeah, so we'll, we'll get to John Wick. The first movie, of course, was about this uh, retired assassin who comes out of retirement effectively for revenge because some little punk, some child of a Russian mob boss kills his mm -hmm. dog that was left to him by his dead wife who died of, uh, of an illness. So he was very upset about that, as you imagine. Uh, perturbed, mm. one might say, and killed a lot of mo Russian mobsters to get to the bad guy. Yeah. He also stole his car, which is important for this movie, kinda. It, it's a little relevant just for the opening of it, really. Yeah. Uh, which, you know, I I think, well, I mean, if, I, if I'm like talking about this compared to the first one, I think one of the benefits this one has is that I guess they just start with a fun sequence. Like, the opening yeah. 15 minutes of this is just, like, we're going to have fun reintroducing this character, we're going to treat him like he's this mythic hero, and we get, uh, oh, what's his name? Uh, the actor playing the, the like the boss in this scene, Peter something. Uh, Peter. No idea. His name is Abram. I wrote that down because I thought he was going to be important. Joke's on me. <laughs> he may be back in the third one. You don't know. Fair enough. Uh, he always plays, like, a, a mobster or, like, a... Uh, Stormare, that's his name. Uh, okay. You know, people know him from Fargo. He was in Prison Break. He, you know, mm. he was in the game Until Dawn. Like he's a, he's an actor who's popped up. He's very prolific. He's he's in tons of things. He does often play the same type of criminal because he's just got that kind of face and like voice that he can do. Right. I'm sure he's a lovely man. I'm sure he's very pleasant in real life. Oh yeah. But he he plays this type of character a lot, and he's just here to set up things. And I think you know one of my my criticisms of the first movie which i did enjoy like it is a solid movie but one of my criticisms was the tone's very dour and i think this one despite the fact that it's still very serious most of the time i think this opening clearly says we're having fun in this world now that we've set things up and there's just that you know it cutting back to him as he knows john wick's coming as john wick's doing a bunch of stuff and you can just hear screams in the distance it's a little mm. funny. You know, there's a little bit of just a, just yeah. a touch of humor to it. And it just, it, I don't know, it does a lot for me, I think, to just put me feel, okay, I'm here to have some fun. 
I'm here to, relatively speaking, turn off my brain. People say that when they're talking about some dumb Michael Bay shit. Right. That's not an excuse for, for terrible storytelling. That's, you can have good storytelling that you have to turn your brain off for, in the sense that, you know, you don't, don't think about the, like, you know, we're here for action, we're here for, for spectacle, we're here for yeah. all that stuff. So, uh... I, I will yeah. say, if we're just getting into the general thoughts oh, on yeah. this stuff, um, I think that maybe it's because, and I don't want to get too much into the setting of this movie, but John Wick is far more passive as a character in this things are forced upon him rather than him going out and doing something mm-hmm. and because of that i i don't know i feel like the action is a little bit weaker just a tiny bit i feel like i got more punch out of the first one knowing that it was john going out and doing these things like he could have stopped at any point and he just chose not to rather in this movie everything was kind of forced upon him and there were some good set pieces there were some good action scenes throughout it i'm not going to say it wasn't spectacle throughout it was fantastic but it just felt like it lacked a little bit of a punch that the first one had and maybe that's also because having not seen the first one before now i'm just completely set to that standard and this didn't blow me away equally as much i'm not sure but it just felt like it lacked a tiny little bit compared to the first one for me that's interesting because i think i prefer this one to the first I, I, I definitely prefer the one, this one, based off of the storytelling and the reasons he's doing this stuff. I think that it's an interesting world building. Like, it's, I, I view this the same way that I think a lot of Star Wars guys view Empire, mm-hmm. in that the first movie, it needed to exist. You had to have it. It was the way that it builds the entire stuff. But this is where they really come out and they build the universe. It's it's expanding on these themes that were set up in the first one and really going home with basically the entire rest of, you know, we in the first movie, we established things like the coins and certain rules that couldn't be broken. This movie takes that and says, OK, you got that good and then expands upon it tenfold until it gets a fully fleshed out universe. Yeah, no, it definitely adds more. And I'd say it uses what was introduced in the first movie to even greater effect. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's some moments in this, specifically the Continentals used a couple of times in this in a really yeah. smart way, and we'll talk about that when we get into the spoilers. Um, for for me, I think the action uh, is at least as good, if not better in places than the first one. And I think it's more consistent. One of, my, one of the things I'd praise this for is that the pacing's far more airtight. I, I think it... Mm-hmm. It doesn't have that problem where it feels like it ends and then has like an extra 20 minutes where it's trying to pretend that we should care more about this extra bit at the end. It doesn't do yeah. that. If anything, it actually does this great thing where it crescendos to the exact right point and then there's a little bit after where you're like, okay, what are the consequences for what's happened? And it does a really nice setup for what you, you presume the third movie is going to be, which, you know, so saving all that for later, obviously. But I, I think the ending is way better in this one like i think yes you know it, it pays off not just this movie but it pays off a lot of things set up in the first movie uh with, mm-hmm. with its ending which is which is cool um so yeah i think the only thing that um in terms of comparing it from the last movie that i just do you remember uh back to the future 2 where mm-hmm. i think it's jennifer am i correct and that's the girlfriend that's the girlfriend yeah uh, jennifer gets in the car and then doc brown just immediately knocks her out 
that's how I feel the, the writers dog? were with the dog. Yeah. <laughs> Where they were like, yeah, you know, last movie, he got a new dog, super cute, and he's walking away with them. And then this movie, they're like, oh, but he can't fight with a dog. How do we unload this dog as quickly as possible? Yeah, I do wonder if they thought they were getting a sequel when they gave him the dog at the end of the first movie. I don't think they did. And that's yeah. why I think that this movie is kind of the empire to that. Where, yes, mm. there were plans for if they did get sequels, how they could expand upon it, but they purposely made it of a one movie thing where they're like okay if we if we're only getting this one we've wrapped up everything and in order to wrap up the dog storyline he had to get another dog yeah yeah i I think that's a that's a fair point um yeah i think the uh there's a nice I, i think there's a nice setup that keeps building upon what was previously set up so the first movie had like a contract put out and john this one sort of ramps that up and sort of shows mm-hmm. how that can escalate to an even greater extent um i wouldn't say it quite gives us like his perfect match and you know we get the evil john wick who's just as good as he is but we get closer to it we get people who are a bit more capable in fighting him um i think it's a smart play that the villain in this might be more detestable than the one in the first movie he's still kind of like he's he's a different type of weasel i guess is the way i'd put it uh yeah you know it, there's a difference to him but equally, yeah. you definitely want to see John Gatton. Like, I think that's oh, still there. Absolutely. Well, it's it's in the first movie. It's the issue of, okay, there are... The world consists of everyone who either doesn't know who John Wick is or knows not to mess with John Wick. And when the villain's introduced, he didn't know who John Wick was. And so he messed with him. And that is what the point of the movie is, is going against him. This is a guy who knew who John was and still decided to mess with him. And yeah. that's what makes it just that little bit of escalation of, okay, this guy thinks he's good enough, thinks he's strong enough, either in money or actual just power, to take on John. Yeah, yeah. It's the sort of thing where a little bit of the setup is a little bit like, we're just kind of throwing this in and, okay, this is how you're writing the sequel, this is how you're explaining why there's a second story to tell. And yeah, a little, a, a, some of it is a bit sequely. Like, I, I don't necessarily really want to defend that. But uh, once it gets going and the way it kind of like escalates throughout the world that they've built and that, mm-hmm. okay, there's consequences for why he's doing this and there's consequences. Like, the reason why John feels sort of entrapped by the situation and why he has to... I, I thought there was some interesting dynamics where, you know, I mean, the plot of this one, you know, keeping the spoiler-free version here, is just someone from john's past who's also in this world wants him to come out of retirement and assassinate someone which is different to the first movie because this is like no he is being hired to kill someone not necessarily innocent but someone who uh is not trying to kill him it's someone who Mm. is being killed as a hit job and that's very much a thing that john gave up and didn't want to be a part of anymore it's the life he got away from and while he was yes he was murdering a lot in the first movie it was all out of like a personal purpose it was never I'm yeah. doing this for money. And he doesn't want it to was, come back. It was out yeah. of vengeance instead of the job. Yeah. So it's almost like he lost his wife in the first movie, but this movie, the villain is trying to like just straight up take anything he learned or got from the experience of having that normal life with the wife, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, so it, I, I feel like, I feel like the closest way you could say it is, you know, if some musician retired or something like that, and they were definitely never going to perform again. It's like, okay, well, you know, respect that. But then they come back for like a one night only thing. You're still going to have people who are like, um, excuse me. I know you said one night only, but 
would you mind performing at this other thing? <laughs> yeah, but with, you know, leverage and mm-hmm. intimidation and lots of other... A lot of guns. A lot of guns, yes. Um, yeah, I... Yeah, the action obviously slick again. It's quite inventive mm-hmm. with how it does things. It puts them in a lot more situations, a lot more locations that are inventive. Uh, you know, we have locations in Rome that, you know, go from like a mm-hmm. rave type setting to like the streets of Rome. We have fights going through public places, onto subway cars. We, you know, we have mm-hmm. lots of variety in that things. There's also a lot more, like, well, specifically the opening is very car chase heavy and there was a bit of car stuff in the first one but this is like a proper car chase at the start with a lot yeah. more car antics it uh, was basically flipping the order of events of the last movie where the last one ended on a little bit of a car mm. thing this one opens on a little bit of a car thing um though i do want to say that i feel like that's part of not my complaint with the action i don't, I don't at no point in here anytime i criticize the action do i say that it's bad absolutely not it's just i feel weaker than the first one and I feel that part of that is that they focused more on using the locations as adding that extra bit of difficulty to it. They made sure that the locations were very interwoven to the choreography, but I feel that was at the detriment of the choreography itself. He did less impressive like gun moves. He did less impressive like karate and whatnot. It was more so of how he interacted with his settings. Uh, yeah, okay, I guess. I don't know. I, I still feel like I noticed a lot of little smart things that he was doing. Uh, I think pre- the thing that got me the most was there was a point in this movie where I noticed about like four times over the course of 60 seconds that he did the thing where he flips a goon and just holds them down for a while while he shoots other people. He does that a lot, yeah. That is definitely yeah. one of his key moves, for sure. Um, but that's part where I was like, okay, after the fourth time, you need to change it up. You need to get a little more creative with it. Yeah. But I think introducing different environments and having to use those environments in some way is how you spice it up. It is how you oh, yeah. make it no, more it, dynamic and different to what we just saw in the first movie. It, Like I said, I, it definitely kept it interesting. And the set piece uh, towards the end of this was uh, great to watch visually. But I think that just keeping an eye on the choreography itself, it just seemed a little bit weaker. Okay, okay. Uh, well, we'll get into all that stuff. Uh, mm-hmm. A lot of the cast come back, of course, the ones who were you know, smaller characters like John Lee Gasmo, um, Blanche Reddick, uh, who's now named as Sharon in this one, as in, you know, Sharon of Death. <laughs> we'll yep. take you to the afterlife. Uh, very interesting choice of... Because he didn't have a title in the first one. The first one, I think he was credited as, like, hotel, like, concierge or something like that. Yeah. Um, he, he was not titled uh, in any way. Um, we also obviously have Ian McShane back as Winston, uh, the head of the the Continental, at least the, the New York branch of the Continental, anyway. Yeah, that's that. I think is the best part of world building in this movie is the fact that they're like, no, 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 the Continental is a chain. It is a yeah. international brand. Well, I get the sense though that it, Winston started it, and like the New York is the founding one, and then because they because they specifically call the Rome one Continental Rome. And I get the impression that you don't, they don't say that about New York because that was the first one. That was the Continental. I'm, I'm willing to agree that New York is the first one, but it seems far more ancient of an order that I think Winston's just the current caretaker. I don't think he started it. Oh, that's fair. Okay, yeah. I mean, if they, if they tell me that, uh, sure. Mm-hmm. I'll, I'll believe it. The way he was talking in this, though, he definitely was like, this is my empire. <laughs> oh, yeah. No. I, if this were any sort of sci-fi bent in this movie at all, I would have 
almost expected the Rome Continental to just have a clone of Winston running it as well. And he's like, nope, <laughs> that's me. I'm eternal. I'm everywhere. Honestly, when we first see the guy running it in Rome, I was like, is that Ian McShane with a goatee? <laughs> yeah, exactly. He's the, he's the exact same voice, just with a slight Roman accent. Yeah. Uh... Technically, uh, Bridget Monaghan, who played Helen, the wife, is back for like a couple of snippets. Was it even a couple? I thought I, I counted one. Well, no, it was the same scene, but it was like a couple of different snippets of like different moments in the same scene. Fair. Right. But I don't think I, it could have been just unused shots from the first movie, or they might mm-hmm. have actually like, you know, got her on set to shoot these two quick moments of them like hugging see, and kissing. See, I am happy though that they did that it goes back to like the batman in the alley problem Mm. where it's how many videos or how many clips of his wife can he actually reasonably have on hand Mm. and obviously it can be in a a, you know quite a few but i'm happy that he has the one that he just keeps on returning to sure 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 uh so you got her back uh you know briefly Uh, it says Mm. david patrick kelly's back as the the cleanup guy but I, i don't remember seeing him in this no I, I'm the only time I could think it might have happened is we also get a return of um, I'm blanking on his name, but the guy who oh Thomas Sadowski as Jimmy, the police officer. Yeah, he's there briefly at the start. Yeah, or Neil. The, the only time I could think is that it would maybe be around then, but not. If anything, I think it's probably a deleted scene or something. Yeah, very possibly. Uh, obviously, our new villain is played by Ricardo Scamarcio. Uh, Scamarcio. Yeah, Scamarcio. There you go. Uh, uh, his name is Santino in the movie. Um, yeah, so he's a villain. You know, we'll, we'll talk about him when we get into the plot and stuff. Uh, his main henchman is Ruby Rose. Yeah. Which... Who, who her name is Ares, and she is definitely mute. Is she also deaf? It's a good question. Uh, yeah. It's a good question. I don't know if it... It's never used in the movie, I don't think, where he does something and she can't hear it. So I, I'm going to assume she's not deaf. Right, because people also just talk to her. They just yeah. use normal words. Now, mind you, she can, I'm assuming, read lips, but still, it's it's never quite brought up as to whether or not she can hear them. Because at one point, John uses um, sign language back at her, as she uses the whole time. So, mm. I don't know. Could go either way. It's not a huge plot point. I, but... I mean, this was probably the first thing I ever saw Ruby Rose in, because uh, this was right around kind of the her ascension uh, before she became Batwoman, and then mm. seemingly everyone thought she was terrible to work with on Batwoman. So I, I don't know what her current standing is in, in Hollywood, but <laughs> that's, that's where we are. Uh, we also have uh, Common as Cassian, who's like another sort of yeah. rival... So a hitman he's, type the, dude. he's that one you're talking about. The closest we get to he's the closest, yeah. John Wick. Yeah, uh, and he's not he's not quite there yet. Like I feel like there's still room for that, like the ultimate rival who's like mano a mano. But he's definitely much closer than anything we had in the first movie. I want to meet Juan Jick. That was terrible. That was absolutely. <laughs> you terrible. say that as if that's not going to be the like temporary name that they use in the script. Uh, we also, of course, have Lawrence Fishburne uh, in a sort of uh, c- kind of like independent character from the, the, the system that's in the movie. Lawrence Fishburne in this movie strikes me as he's going to be very important in the third movie, and they're just setting him up here. That's, yeah, that's relatively fair. Um, obviously, it's a bit of stunt casting. It's like, hey, we've got Keanu Reeves. We're going to get Lawrence Fishburne. This is a little Matrix reunion. 
and you know it's uh it's it's pleasant enough uh so i mean that's basically the the notable uh cast um mm. so uh i mean i should probably I, mean, I, I think I it was the uh the guy running rome who was franco nero who's uh, you know he was like the original django worth mentioning that uh yes i believe that was him yeah uh i didn't recognize him because i'm you know he's usually much but, you know, i've seen i've seen him in django but that was like 1966 he looked a bit right. different at the time yeah. Oh, um, actually, out of... small, small oh, role. Uh, Peter Sarafinovich uh, plays the guy who gives John a lot of guns in Rome. Uh, yes. You might know him from Shaun of the Dead. He actually also, I think, did he voice uh, Darth Maul, yeah. I want to say? But, uh, you know, he, he's Darth up Maul, him. no. There was someone else who was Darth Maul. No, no, he uh, was. Yeah, no. no, he was. He was, either, he was either physically Darth Maul or he voiced Darth Maul. I can't remember which, which it was, but he did one of them. I'm looking through his history. I don't see it anywhere in Darth Maul. Yep, he definitely did. Oh wait, sorry, I, I didn't click see all. I didn't realize he had so many roles. <laughs> it and only a... went back to two thousand eight. You <laughs> out? All right, here we go. Uh, no, he was physically Darth Maul in he the was, first. He was physically Star Darth Wars Maul. Movie. Okay, okay. Yeah. I, I knew it was one or the other. I can't remember which. No, mm. I mean, actually, now I'm thinking about it. I don't think Darth Maul spoke, but <laughs> he had he had one or two lines. But yeah, maybe he grunted. That kind of. <laughs> <laughs> he grunted at one point uh, um, but yeah no I definitely recognize him from Shaun of the Dead but no out of out of this cast I don't think anybody really fails I think that the casting is strong throughout I honestly think the weakest actor out of the whole thing and he's still very strong is probably Ricardo as Santino mm-hmm. like everyone else is just so locked in on what they're doing He's probably the most generic character and he's just doing this kind of villain. And it was, I, I think, as an introduction to the character, like, I, I wasn't sure how to take him at first. Like, it, it kind of mm-hmm. felt like he was just kind of this, like, more comic booky villain for this movie uh, that feels like he's here just to give us a plot. But I have to give the movie credit that by the time we get to the third act and we get to him, mm-hmm. what, you know, what he tries to do to sort of, like, win or get away with things... I'm like, you know what? I actually really want to see him dead now. Like, they've managed to make oh, him... Yeah. They've made him Weasley in a very different way to the entitled rich kid in the first movie. And this guy's still very much an entitled rich guy, don't get me wrong, but he's a very different type. He's he's, he's, he's this, this guy's more of a power play, politicking... You, you know, I mean, they keep saying he wants a seat at the table, and it's the table that controls this entire system of hitmen. Which, again, the world building here. Yeah. I, I, I adore it and also curse it at the same time. So, but yeah, no, it, he is, by the time, like you said, by the time we get to the third act, I think that it is strictly, I don't want to say the first act, but kind of in the bridge between the first and second act, second act is the only time where I'm like, okay, it seems like they're trying to play the character as a, is he good, is he bad sort of thing? Not, okay, good is a bad way to say that. Is he able to patch things up with John? Is it literally strictly business or is he out to get john and by the time you get to the end it is obvious that it is out to get john so yeah he never came across as good which is why i think i'm glad you corrected that because yeah. like mm-hmm. what you want john to do is not exactly in any way you know reprehensible oh, no. <laughs> absolutely not so yeah um yeah i mean the movie's really solid i think it's paced better than the first one mm-hmm. and i think the the the, the world building and the way it, what I love 
in movies, and I talked about this in the first one, we were talking about the gun clips and like them actually running out, and they do that again mm. in this one. There's even a plot point at one point where it's like, hey, you yeah. have this many bullets and that's all you've got. And I don't want to spoil it, but I've got thoughts and how much I laughed at how they were used. But, oh, yeah. And um, this, though, is that it's, it's playing with the rules, and I think all the world building that's set up about... Um, you know the, the the coins a marker uh which, which is interesting this one the idea of a marker which is kind of like an, mm-hmm. an iou in the hitman world effectively yeah. uh like that being brought up and then the rules of that and the fact that you have to honor under the continental and you have to do this and blah blah using all these things and then watching people try and like circumvent the rules and then like how they try and get around certain things and it's like okay mm-hmm. you're safe because you've got a marker but when that's done like what happens then i feel like yep. the way it played with all these things as the movie went on it always felt like it made sense and it always felt like there was consequences when things came after you know like yeah when when the bad guy comes to john wick and says you're doing this and you've basically got no choice and like john wick doesn't want to do it but he's kind of forced into it and he mcshane tells him you kind of need to do this john but once you do it you know you're, you've paid your debt you're free blah blah, blah. um mm-hmm. there's a point where Ian mcshane straight up looks at the villain and says you know you went to John, and when he's done, like he's free to fucking kill you if he yeah. wants to. <laughs> like my, my my favorite part in that was he was like he warned you, he told you not to do it, and you still did it. Yeah. So it's, I mean, it's part of that that wish fulfillment of like John being this unstoppable force, where mm-hmm. the idea that if he says don't f with me, if you f with him, you will find out. Like it, yeah. it, like he's he will be this unrelenting force coming for you, and that's it. Never drops that he always feels like he's doing that and mm. um i think you get to just enjoy the fun of it a little bit more in this one versus the first one so yeah i mean going back to what you said about the rules i do i think it's a saying at least i hope i'm not making this up where you need to know the rules you need to understand why they're there in order to break them absolutely yeah i mean and I, that's i i say that about the rules of filmmaking never mind like the in yeah, context exactly. of a story yeah exactly um but no it is it does a great job of it lays down across both movies now it says okay here's how the coins work it explains here's how the marker works it explains the rules of the continental of all these different things it lays it out very cleanly and the people play by the rules up to a point and then they start tiptoeing over the line they start breaking the rules and that's what makes for the good drama where it's a matter of if everyone played by the rules 100% of the time, then there's always a place to hide behind. There's always some way that they can get out of it. It's only once the rules are stripped away that it becomes a, okay, now it's interesting. Yeah. So I think with that said, we'll, we'll get into the movie. So spoilers for John Wick chapter two. One more thing. Uh, okay. <laughs> and I can, it can kind of be under spoilers as well. Uh, there's a scene that is the set piece of this movie that is set completely in a hall of mirrors yes the only thing that was going through my mind is how many vfx artists had to work for how long to erase the cameras oh, from yeah. all of those mirrors there is there is no chance in hell that this was just done completely like Absolutely in camera not. without like the, at the very least there was a better trickery to remove because like you you can get i mean you can get away with a mirror in a scene like you know you just angle mm-hmm. the camera so you don't see the camera and the the, 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 the reflection but you have a hall of mirrors and you have shots where the camera's looking right into a mirror and th- like there's trickery here there has to be trickery yep. which does bring me to the point of 
I wonder what the comparison is between VFX, between the first movie and this one, because between the Hall of Mirrors scene and also the fact of maybe I'm just forgetting, but does it seem like this movie really played up the blood splatters a lot more than the last one? Um, I feel like last movie, more, I suppose. last movie, they had a few main shots. There was specifically um, the guy who's playing video games and got sniped in the head. Like they played that up for blood and gore. That was a big one. But this one, I felt every time that he shot anybody in the head, there was a nice little cloud of smoke and a stain on the ground, which I don't remember in the last movie. It's satisfying. I'll, oh, absolutely. I'll say that. Uh, no, I mean, maybe they had a bit more to work with uh, in this time. Joe, you know I will say, though, that you've brought that up, is that I think mm-hmm. it's a testament that even if they did have more money, and maybe that allowed them to do something like the Hall of Mirrors where they could, you know, use FX to, you know, hide after the fact, like how they had shot it, because it was going to show up no matter what. Right. I think I would commend it for never feeling like they're doing action that feels inappropriate to what you expect of John Wick. I think the worry would be yeah. is that you end up doing... I mean, to compare it to the last franchise we did, you end up doing going down a snowy mountain in a truck or something. You know, It never yeah. does action that feels inappropriate to the type of action that John Wick is. Even if technically there's more money being spent to pull it off because of the locations they're in, the actual combat and the way he's doing things always feel like it's true to what John Wick is. As opposed to all of a sudden he's like, I don't know, <laughs> like diving out a plane and parachuting and like dodging rockets in the air or or whatever yeah. it could be, you know? Yeah, no, it's it's definitely a um they they recognize that the gold in their franchise is the fight scenes being this gritty, realistic like, here's how a guy who is at peak performance could handle all of these fights. And I think that this movie only dances on the line one time. And that is the walking down the hallway with silencers scene. Oh, yeah. No, uh, that's that's fair. It's not even a hallway. You say hall. It's, 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 uh, it's like the terminal of a train station and there's yeah. people all around. And silencers do dampen the sound of a gun they do not make it literally mm. silent where you can fire in a crowd of people and no one will notice <laughs> yeah no and that's another thing in this movie which i feel maybe it's because i don't live in the inner city i don't have to worry about this sort of thing that often but i feel like if i heard as many gunshots as i heard there i wouldn't be able to walk over to the next block and see people just going about their day as usual <laughs> yeah that there's definitely st- but that, that's less about uh that's that's almost that's a different thing to what we were talking about before though. This yeah. is this is just like a believability thing where you let you're letting mm-hmm. them away with this not being quite realistic in the background. Yeah. That's about realism. I was talking about like the scale of yeah. the action and the type of action that it was. Uh it it was the it, the problem was it was the exact same scene where both things happened. Yeah. So it just came up and I was like, Yeah, there's a lot I'm having to forgive here, but it's a cool scene, yeah. so I'll give it. But you're not forgiving like dodgy visuals you're just forgiving like people in the background the extras not reacting appropriately yeah. to to what's going on yeah that, that's Absolutely. really what you're you're commenting here but yeah uh so spoilers for john wick chapter two we'll we'll, we'll mm-hmm. get into it uh the opening of the movie uh which has you know it's a nice setup especially if you haven't seen the first movie uh mm-hmm. peter stormier's character is apparently the brother of the villain in the first one um because he mentions his nephew <laughs> killed the dog <laughs> Yeah, so just just off the bat here. Yes. Um when this started, I was like taking copious notes 
I was like, okay, he's the brother, and we're going through all this, and I'm writing down everything, all the relations that are going on, because I assume they're all going to be very important. They literally have a shot where they go over very slowly this guy's nameplate on his desk, just so I'm sure I caught the name. And I'm like, all right, I get it. It's important. And then... <laughs> See, you're really annoyed about this because you were thinking it was going to be important and taking notes, but... I actually yeah. like the end of this segment, which is... Oh, yeah, no. I know, thought it was jo great. John Wick gets to him after killing, like, all of his men and mm -hmm. pours him some booze and just basically says, like, are we good? <laughs> and the guy's yeah. like, yeah, yeah, we're good. Uh, <laughs> and Which leave. is actually quite smart because the whole point of this movie is that the villain who then interrupts John's life and says, now you're coming back, he has to sort of, like, exploit him and can't let it go and tries to, like... Whereas this guy's smart enough to go, you know what? peace like i don't care that you killed my yeah. brother you killed my nephew you, you did all these things i recognize that this is not personal to me you just want your car back because you know he mm -hmm. has cover his front for his business is he's got this like taxi auto shop and john yeah. wick's car happens to be here and he's like yeah take your car we're good <laughs> like yep. he's like and he knows but the way it sets up here where he's like explaining to his like uh you know henchman who john mm -hmm. wick is he's the boogeyman he's this he's that and he says, if he literally quotes the exact same speech. Yeah. And if anything, the stories have been watered down. Like, they, 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 this is not a case of they've been exaggerated. They've been watered down. And as this is happening, we see John Wick coming to his place. But he's always like, out of focus or in silhouette. You know, it takes a while oh, yeah. before they do the face reveal where he walks out of the shadow and you see, you know, Keanu's face. And then we get a series of uh, fun action scenes. Um, I would, you know, it's a lot of car stuff where he's in his car uh, his, yep. car, his car, which he gets back, ends up getting wrecked, which more in the, the comedy beat that follows with that in a second. But I, I, I love that so much. But he's, you know, he, he's... Uh, at one point, he spins the car so that when he spins it, the back of the car hits someone. So mm -hmm. it's like a 180 spin into a hit. Uh, I, I, my favorite part of it might be once his door, John Wick's door's gone, so he's driving without a door, and someone hits the front of the car, and he literally just falls out the side of the car. And it's... Yeah, it's a great shot. It just it looks really good. <laughs> oh yeah, that's that's one of the ones where it looks so simple, but I guarantee you there was a whole like backing rig so that they could do it legitimately. Oh yeah, so yeah. they could actually have him come out of the car. It was uh, it, yeah, it's very simple to look at, but yeah, you get the feeling like to actually pull this off. Either there's a lot of FX going on to make it work convincingly, or there's a mm -hmm. lot of other safety things going. Like either way, it looked good and. Yeah. Fundamentally, it's all about car with ragdoll physics for the humans. That That's what this mm -hmm. segment was. So I absolutely loved in this segment how he gets his car. And mind you, this is a chop shop. Like, it is cutting up these cars. And, like, they're mm. also transporting um, those gold coins that we saw. Yeah. Used he, by the hitman along with just blank cash. Well, he's getting rid of all them because he knows John Wick's coming. I think that was the implication. Right. Yeah. Because his brother had it all burned. Um but I, I love how in this movie, his car still has a dust cover on it. It's in pristine condition. Like, it is absolutely perfect. And then within three minutes, it is just a wreck. And there is nothing left of it. And he's like, all right, well, why do you even bother showing up for it then? Well, yeah, because there's, there's all literally a comedy beat when it cuts to him arriving back at his house. And the car is like, just sort of like creaking into frame. And it's like, you know, it's falling apart. There's no doors. The windows are all mm -hmm. smashed uh it's you know and that basically i mean you can see him briefly at the end reacting to something but john leah gasmo's character only shows up for this scene where he's like 
So you want me to fix this car? Yeah, I could have it fixed by about twenty thirty. Yeah, I could yeah. <laughs> do that. Um, so, which to be fair, if we're getting a new trilogy of movies starting with Chapter Four, Chapter Six is going to be him getting that car back. It's going to be right around that time. Is that a trilogy? I thought four and five were greenlit. I don't know if it was a six. Okay, well, fair enough. I could be wrong. He's still not going to have his car then. Oh well. Yeah, um, if I, yeah, five comes out in a couple of years. Yeah, we'll stop. Mm-hmm. They can keep going. They can go until he's about seventy because we we hit twenty thirty. Oh, yeah. He'll get his car back. Eventually, we're going to hit the point where he just crosses over with Dirty Harry. <laughs> and somehow, Clint Eastwood will still be alive. Somehow, he'll oh, yeah. be one hundred and ten years old, but he'll still <laughs> still be there. Oh dear. Uh, so no, I, I think this opening was great. It, it was it was a yeah. really fun sequence that built up the mystique of John Wick again in a sort of condensed format because you know we've seen the first movie already, but it's a refresher for for those of us who have seen the first movie. It's an introduction for those who haven't. Um, mm. It's kind of fun. It's just a little more cartoony in a good way. You know, it's a little bit more comic booky with this more over the top villain and the way he's got this big cigar, but he's scared of John Wick. And they're you know they mentioned Baba Yaga, they mentioned the killing the three people yeah. with the spoon whatever it was pencil pencil yeah what you see they, him do later on yeah they specifically say in this it's like he he once killed three men and the other guy interrupts like with a pencil i know i've heard the story <laughs> which is a bit meta when you think about it it's like the yeah, audience absolutely. You know, we've, yeah we've heard this story it's like yes coming into chapter two we've seen chapter one we know we've been there yeah but no it's, but it's still valid to make those reminders because i mean oh you, yeah you have to assume that if people have seen it, it might have been a couple of years. I mean, they may not have seen it since it came out, and that's you yeah. know, a, a valid thing. No, I, I think that this opening does a good job of, yeah, you may not get all of the emotion that went into the first movie, all the reasons that he was on this quest, but it still gives you enough, if you are coming into this new, that you understand what he's capable of. You didn't have to go through the whole arc of you know his wife, his dogs, all that stuff. You come into this and you just need to know John Wick is capable of killing anything that is alive. Yeah. And uh, then just continue from there. And he goes home. He's happy. He's content. He's yeah. got his dog. He, he's, he's, you know, looking at his wife's photos. and He has some cement, which actually, you commented he needed. I actually started laughing during that scene because I forgot that you actually see him cementing his stuff back up in yeah. this movie. I was just crying. I didn't remember that when I said that last episode. Uh, oh, so I did like the small detail though that there was a photo of his wife in the car's glove compartment and the mm. implication almost that that's why he really wanted it back is that there was a yeah there was he some... didn't care about the car yeah. itself it was what was in it yeah I, I th- that made some sense to me it was like yeah and that's why I think it's effective in a, you know in 10 minutes time when our new villain burns down his house with a grenade launcher and burns all of his wife's like you know photos and you know yeah everything all the memories of are all gone um like it's basically like you can't have this normal life we took it from you and don't get me wrong it's not as emotionally effective as killing the dog in the first movie but oh, I, no. but i do think it, it shows you just how entitled this prick is especially since after he still tries to sort of like you know when, he, when john goes to see him the second time and he's like mm-hmm. look john if you complete your marker this is all over and we can act like professionals and like adults and i'm like you took a grenade launcher to his house you effed up dude like he's coming for you <laughs> like you have no chance it it just strikes me as somebody who like slaps you in the face and then says like up 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 slapping is below us okay let's <laughs> yes. just go ahead and call this even yeah he's so slimy uh because yeah. when he first shows up and like john has to treat him with respect and 
Mm-hmm. You know, he's, he's like, hey, you owe me. I helped you build all this by letting you go. I, you- I do like how, yeah, they called in that one little detail before of how in order to get out, he had to do an impossible task. Yeah. And apparently this guy is the one who helped him complete that impossible task, which it would make sense that that's why he gave this guy an IOU, because it is literally the most important thing in John Wick's life. So he felt like, no, I okay, I'm giving you this. Yeah, Santino repeatedly says that he would have, wouldn't have asked if John had just stayed retired. I don't believe him for a second. I don't believe... Oh, no. Yeah, I, I don't think for a second that he's only doing this because he knows John's back in the game to an extent. I, I believed him right up until he blew up John's house. And I was like, okay, well, you came prepared. Like, this was always going to happen. Yeah. And that's the thing. It's not even like some time passes and he's get mad and you're waiting for him to strike. He goes out to his car as soon as John turns him down and just pulls a grenade launcher out of the car. And that's it. Mm-hmm. It just starts firing it like it's nothing. Although, I did love there was a moment when the house was on fire. I'm like, wait, did that dog die in this explosion? Because I feel like... Yeah. So, But they make a point of showing the dog come up and lick John immediately. Just like, no, the dog... We didn't do it again. We promise. We promise we didn't kill the dog again. (laughs) I have a feeling, like... I I know they don't actually show this, but I have a feeling uh, Santino was, like, looking around. He's like, okay, I see the dog over in the west wing of the house, so I'm just going to fire to the east because... I know what happens next if I kill that dog. <laughs> yeah. But I think, you know, it does work for my... Even though it's not as impactful, I think, to the audience because it's not killing a dog, I mm-hmm. think when you stop and think about all of the memories of his wife, and, you know, including that, like, bracelet or whatever it was on his nightstand, including all the photographs, yeah. the house that he shared with his wife, it's all gone. Like, this, this entire life has effectively been erased by this prick because he thinks he owns John. Oh, yeah. And I also like the fact of they worked with what they had. Like, they specifically showed the bracelet as being something that was destroyed here, rather than coming up with, like, oh, no, my wife's photo book that I just looked at for the first time in yeah, this movie. Yeah. No. It's like, no, no, no. We we know the things that are important to him, and we have only destroyed those things visually. Yeah, yeah. So uh, so after some cement work, of course, uh, villain mm-hmm. shows up, makes tells him that he wants him to kill someone, doesn't even get to who in this scene. He doesn't find out until John goes and sees him. Because John goes to the Continental next and uh, mm-hmm. leaves his dog with uh, Lance Reddick. Uh, yeah. Which, again, comedy beat at the end where it's just that wide shot of him staring down at the dog. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't think any movie or show can pull off as many comedy beats with Lance Reddick as this one can. Yeah, he's got a few. And it's usually just him reacting quietly to whatever absurd request john or someone other characters made yeah yeah uh because at the end he's like he was a good dog i enjoyed his company but it's so stoic you're like what did, what did you did you sit and like read him the financial times lance <laughs> i i would pay to see you know how marvel has those little shorts that go with their movie releases oh yeah, yeah. i would pay to see a short of what sharon did with the dog during this span of this movie yeah um so but he goes to see Ian McShane, goes to see Winston, mm-hmm. and explains what's happened. And Winston, again, Mr. Exposition for the audience. But I don't mean that in a bad way, but he very much once again explains, he's got a marker that you agreed to. Because even, and I like that he, disp- he sort of says, like, why did you give a marker to that prick of all people? You know, he's like very clear, like, why would you do that? And he's like, no, he helped me get out of the, you know, like, blah, blah. We explained that yeah. he had the impossible job, this was his way out, and he took it. And he's mm-hmm. like, you know what happens if you turn if you never if you refuse the marker if you try and fight it, you know the the table will come for you the, the entire system will come for you 
So you have to do this. But once you've done it, you can be free. So John reluctantly, you know, and he's walking around at this point, you know, ever since his house blew up, he's walking around kind of like, like, looking like a homeless person. He's got this like white like shirt on that's yeah. kind of dirty and he's kind of, you know, he's not in the suit. He's not looking smart. He, you know, he looks, he looks kind of low and down and he mm-hmm. goes to see the villain, Santino, who's opening like a fancy art gallery or something. So he goes in and talks to him. Turns out Santino wants his sister killed because his sister was given their father's seat at this table. So, I, I, at this point in the movie, like, I just stopped taking notes because I was like, all right, you're dropping a whole bunch of lore here and I'm just going to be fully invested. I'm not going to bother writing it down. Sure, sure. It is, so they, the, during the Winston conversation, they make it specifically clear that the Continental belongs to Winston and he is like the rule guy for that. Yeah. Meanwhile, these markers belong to the high table, which as far as I can tell is just the leaders of each of the crime families for like every country yeah that's what it sounds like and when we say crime families we mean like the big upper class crime families like the ones who are running the systems of that are in place right Uh, so it's like 12 of them i think and he's his father was the italian one so his sister is taking over the italian crime family yeah and he wants in and somehow both of them both winston and the continentals as well as the high table and the markers are all part of a much larger just hitman conglomerate where you're part of this group and it's you you literally are a member in this group it's not a thing of you're a hitman therefore you're automatically in this group it's a yeah. thing where you have to be let into this group and they never quite explain how that happens but they definitely show what happens when you get kicked out so i mean we even saw that in the last movie with uh, yeah. uh perkins or whatever her name was so, I think this scene, I think, gives you a lot of this villain and how much of a slimeball he is, and that mm. he's very matter-of-fact about the fact that he wants his sister killed, because he just says, you know, she, she's she got this seat, and I think I could do quite well, given that opportunity. Yeah. And it's that simple. This is purely a political play for the seat. It's, it's mm. not this, like, you know, passionate revenge thing. I'm sure he's bitter. I'm sure he's, like, emasculated because his sister was given the power, and he wasn't. But mm. it sort of gives you a sense of who the character is. But it also makes the point that he needs John because even John says this is impossible. This is not able to be done because of how high profile and how important she is. Yeah, she's one of the tables. She's one of the 12 at the table. And, Mm -hmm. you know, she's in Rome right now. And uh, for her coronation. Yeah. So this is why I need the ghost. This is why I need John Wick. So John Mm -hmm. reluctantly is going to do this to like deal with his deal with his marker and get get once again get so he's trying to get free he's trying to go back to his normal life and the, the system just won't let him mm-hmm. so he goes to rome and we get this idea that along with your membership to the continental you get access to a lot of things you get access to a fancy ta- building you get access to a tailor who'll make you a suit that's got a polymer in it that's bulletproof mm-hmm. uh you'll get access to a gunsmith or whatever the <laughs> yeah uh, he'll give you a bunch of weapons and you know i, I I could have maybe done without the sort of like the, the the glorifying of the guns themselves a little bit. Like, you know, I kind of, it's the one yeah. scene in the movie where I was like, later on when it's the other gun that's looking at seven bullets, I'm like, no, this is a plot point. This is, this is mechanics. Yeah. This is important. Um, there's a little bit where they're just going through the weapons he's going to be using. And it's just a little bit, you know, like gun wankery, I guess. Well, see, they do it, but they purposely phrase it as if he is like just because a sommelier is someone who's very good with wines. Yes. That's, 
the, the wine master. So they treat it the exact same way, where it's like, okay, and what do I do for after the main course? And he's like, oh, well, this thing. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I, I like the little wordplay there, but because I knew Lawrence Fishburne was coming up because of what you said, and because the sommelier, the, uh, the tailor, all that sort of stuff, this was just Matrix Reloaded again. Like, it's just the blank <laughs> and all of these roles where they do a very specific thing, and it's just Matrix Reloaded again. It's much better than Matrix Reloaded. It is, but it's, it's just... Because that, that movie also did the same thing for the Matrix universe in the world building and setting up, here's how these different aspects of the Matrix works. And while, yes, I agree it was done much poorer, I just kept on seeing these parallels to it where they just kept on doing the same I, sort of things. I can see the comparison you're making, but I think the, the difference is, is that that series was just a... Oh, that movie, sorry, Reloaded was a series of MacGuffins. It was like, you oh, need yeah. to get to this thing or this person to get to this next thing. And that's all it was. Here, everything's clearly motivated by the previous... You know, you, you can see yeah. how it all fits together. It all flows and uh, the momentum's there. Uh, mm. So, you know, he gets his stuff. He gets his suit. Uh, he yeah. looks quite spiffy. Which, on the topic of the suit, how did you feel about that? How did you feel about the fact that every time he came into a scene now, he's just, like, holding up his jacket like this because now he's bulletproof? It's, uh... I think it feels like a, a device to get around the fact that he's going to be getting shot at. And mm -hmm. at a certain point, it's unbelievable that he's getting hit. So they've decided to go with something else, which is, we'll explain it by having a bulletproof suit. You know, we'll say it still hurts, but yeah. it'll stop bullets from from hitting them. Yeah, I guess, I mean, by the time the movie progressed, they showed a bunch of different, like, ways that he's being attacked. I was more okay with it because there were people attacking him with just knives. There were people attacking him stealthily where he wouldn't have the ability to get his suit up. Yeah. But I do think it is, in that first scene where he's really taking advantage of it, it kind of sucks a little bit out of it of like, okay, but like, he can't die here. He's not not only because of the pacing of the movie, but like I don't believe he could even get seriously injured because this suit is here. Yeah, I guess in a lot of ways, I kind of feel like he's got that anyway from the writing standpoint. So the well, suit yeah. just kind of makes it literal. <laughs> I'm, I'm I'm trying to ignore the meta point where I yeah. look at the search bar of the movie and I say, oh, we still have an hour and a half left. I hope he doesn't die here. I mean, he was presented as such an unstoppable badass that I guess it doesn't really affect me too much. It's one of those things, though, where this one definitely does just put us on that lane of, uh, like, you know, because when you bring up realism, like, I wouldn't necessarily say John Wick's realistic. It's just, it just feels more real in the fights themselves because it feels like there's a lot of tactics involved and there's a lot of skill involved. Yeah. Um, this one definitely goes a little bit further in the sense that, okay, we're introducing, like, tech that feels maybe slightly... Perfect silencers? Yeah, per well, perfect But that... Uh, yeah, but they don't introduce that, though. That's just a thing that all movies do, is that silencers are perfectly yeah. quiet. That's not a That's John Wick-specific thing. Whereas, no, this suit has polymer inside it, which, which is completely bulletproof. Um, you know, I, that's... I, I guess for me, it's because last movie, he was also shot at, like, incredibly high amounts of time. Mm -hmm. And then he only ended up actually getting shot, like, maybe twice or three times over the course of the movie. Yeah. So... It just feels like, well, then why can't he just do it again? Yeah, I don't know. It didn't really bother me, but I, 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 no, it yeah. wasn't something that I really cared about in the first place either. So I, yeah, I just felt like it was weird that if they didn't bring it up, I wouldn't have questioned it. 
like okay he's just managing to dodge these shots but because they brought it up i was like okay but how much can that actually really do I mean, the realism of it and the believability of it actually stopping bullets, like, I don't think it can. I think it's nonsense, mm. but I don't really care. I think what I, what I think works in the movie is that they set it up and then him lifting the jacket to actually help block bullets from a certain direction shows him using it based on the rules that have been established in the movie. They tell me it works this way, I'll accept that, and as long as the character uses it accordingly, um, I can more or less get behind it. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, um, yeah, I will say that it got where... Because his shirt's not bulletproof. And we, we, no, see, we, yeah. we see that when someone, you know, stabs him, I think, in the, uh, mm-hmm. you know, in, the, in the stomach at one point, you know? Yeah. And I will say that this movie, one of my few criticisms I had last time, I wouldn't even say criticism, but one of the things I pointed out last time is they never explained why everybody's in suits. At least this explains why John's in a suit. Oh, sure, yeah. 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 I don't know, they're, they're upper-class crime. Everyone's in a suit. <laughs> <laughs> what you want from me? <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, so he, he, yeah, he has to go to this concert where uh, the the sister's going to be, and mm. he actually gets in quite easy. What one thing I did like though is we see him planting like his different guns because he's got like a machine gun, a shotgun, and he's got a pistol on him, and we see him mm. planting the guns like in the the cave system underneath Rome, and I think what I like about this is later on when he uses these guns. He's not actually fighting like the people defending the the sister or her people. He's fighting mm-hmm. against Ruby Rose because obviously the bad guy wanted John killed on the way out so that there'd be no loose ends, right? And I mean, you say that, but he is fighting against the people defending her as well. I don't think in the caves he is. I think in the caves it's no, just... No, probably it, not in the caves. It's just I Ruby Rose's people. Them all out by that. Because uh, yeah. Cassian comes back into it once he gets back up to the street level. But I think in the mm-hmm. caves it's just her, it's just her and uh, the other Sentino yeah. guys. But I think... What I like about that is that, to me, like you could say he just expected to be chased by the people protecting her, and that's why mm-hmm. he planted the guns here. But I kind of like to think that he actually kind of saw the double cross coming, and he was like prepping his entire route back with like you know, oh, defenses, yeah. and this this was like all like him just being really strategical. Um, but he goes to the the concert thing. He actually gets in relatively easy, all on the one moment where he passes Cassian by, and he's actually no, that's no, that's uh, that's on the way out. That's the yeah. way out. Who's it? Oh no! It's the head of the continental Rome who says, "Are you here for the Pope?" And he's like, "No." Yeah. In that case, we're all right. Like he would have yeah. a problem if he was here to assassinate the Pope. That's 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 a bit too high profile. That's where he draws the line. Yeah. Uh, but he just shows up, and the sister knows who he is. You know, like immediately, like there's there's some familiar familiarity there, which makes sense given that he also knew the brother, he knew Santino, uh, yeah. and she makes this choice knowing that she's not going to get away john wick's good at what he does she's in a, yeah. a room alone with him she makes a choice to get into her jacuzzi or whatever it is mm-hmm. and slit her wrists and kills herself um yep. and then john like makes this choice to to shoot her in the head and you can read this one of two ways you can read this as like he's ending her pain a bit quicker um or you can read it as a sort of technicality where he's making sure that he's the one who actually dealt the killing blow yeah i wasn't <sighs> I wasn't sure how to assume that because I mean, if she dies on the night of her coronation, as John was contracted to do, it's not that he has to prove it was him. Like clearly, nobody else was going to do that. Yeah, yeah. There's no reason she would have died otherwise. So that makes that makes less sense for me that it's a technicality. He has to prove that he did it. But also at the same time, I feel like slowly bleeding out is 
not a horrible way. Like, it's not a painful way to go, I don't think. More so than a gunshot to the head. Uh... I don't know. I, the fact that no, he shot her, her especially after the fact that he shot her, especially after they had that whole, you know, we used to be friends once, and he's wait, wait, like, wait, wait, wait. I still consider us friends. You think a gunshot to the head isn't isn't painless? That... Okay, no, I I a gunshot to the head's the quickest like sudden you say way to that, go. But the but the big fat guy who attacked John later on got a shot to the head, and he got back up. So I don't want to hear that. <laughs> okay, one second, like. I think bleeding out for, is going to feel worse than just an instant gunshot to the head. I'm not here to discuss the merits on the easiest way to die. That's not exactly why I'm here. All I'm saying is that it seemed out of place. I can't think of any good reason as to why it needed to happen. I think he was just ending her suffering, to be honest. That's like, fair. I, I think it was as simple as that. But based off of, like, she didn't do a tiny little cut and say, like, okay, I'll be dead in four to five hours. Like, she did full up and down her whole arms, both arms, to the point where her entire body was just covered in blood. She was out within the time that he would have been able to walk out of the room. I, <laughs> at which point, I don't think it's a big deal that he shoots in the head, that, is it? The, the only makes, part that makes it seem weird to me is they had that whole conversation of how he still considers her a friend. That's what took it out of place for me. Is like, well, no, this this is strictly business on his end. Which, which so again, I feel which, like that again just proves the point that he's putting her out of her misery. He's just making fair, it end quickly. Right. You say so. <laughs> I'm not sure why this is confusing. Like she's not for me. It's that she's not sitting there going like, ah, ooh, ah, it hurts so much. It's like no, she's just fading away. That's all it is. Yeah, but I'm sure it's still not that pleasant. He's just, he's put there out of her misery. It is such a non-plot point, though. I, I'm willing to concede. Just I, I just, I, I just, yeah, <laughs> I, I don't know what the problem is. But yeah. you know, another part of this, though, is that she kind of, like, brings up, you know, what would your wife think of, like, you doing this now? Like, she sort yeah. of, like, pokes that question. And I think uh, if there's much of a, like, an emotional backbone to this story, it's the idea that John's been dragged back into this world when he didn't want to be, and mm. this idea of, like, like, what would his wife think if he, if you know, if, that he's doing any of this now? Like, he's becoming this kind of unstoppable monster again. I mean, it purposely pokes the point there because as soon as the marker is done, as soon as he completes this kill, technically, he does not need to kill another person. No, he could just walk in, away at this point. Yeah. In order to survive, he does. But it, it, it does pose that question of now that he's pulled back in again, is he going to choose to leave because there's nothing for him on the other side. And they bring that up throughout the entire movie as to whether or not he wants to be here now. Yeah. But he obviously, he's already got a reason to want revenge on Santino. He's going to have even more oh, of yeah. one in a couple of minutes. Uh, before mm -hmm. he gets to Ruby Rose in the caves though, he does cross paths with uh, Cassian who we meet for the first time. Played by Common. Yeah. I think we, we see him with uh, the sister uh, briefly before now, but yeah, this is Just the first time. Yeah. This is the first time we actually like get to speak to him and stuff. Uh, and again, it's that very sort of pleasant, kind of like professional, hey John, hey Cassian, are you working? Yep. Uh, and he's like, what was the line he said? Is it a good night? I, I think, think he said. Yeah, he's just like, it's yeah. a good night. He's like, like afraid yeah. so. Which is, which is basically, yeah, you, you've done it already. And then the fight yeah. breaks out. And in front of a lot of people as well. So you get like John fighting this guy and then mm -hmm. a few other goons on his way out. 
uh, which... He kills a guy on stage, and the crowd just cheers because they think it's part of the show. <laughs> but he, you know, he's, he's shooting people th- throughout the... Uh, he goes through a few locations up top throughout the rave, mm-hmm. uh, taking people out, gets out of the caves, and he thinks he's away, but then, of course, Ruby Rose is there with a, a squad of guys, and it's like, yeah, she's here to like kill him so that all the loose ends are gone. And yep. John has to fight his way through the cave. And I think what was interesting about this is the idea that he... Like, his fighting style changes depending on the type of gun he's using. Because we mostly just see him use a pistol in the first movie. And up until this point in this film, it's also just a pistol. But yeah. as this fight progresses and he's, you know, he switches to the machine gun... Um, but especially when he switches to the shotgun, which is a lot more difficult to reload. So yeah. he's got this method. And one of my favorite moments of this whole fight is when he actually has some guy pinned up against the wall holding the shotgun to his chest and then has to quickly reload with the other hand while he's still pinning the guy against the wall and then fires mm-hmm. off the shot. That That's yeah. where like the mechanics and like the stuff comes into it where you're like, okay, that, that was fun because it was... Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. Those that's uh, as we said last time. Those limitations that they impose on themselves to come up with creative fight scenes. That's that entire cave thing is that on display where they have a specific type of gun, and they give him a certain amount of bullets before he has to go to the next gun, and then that gun comes with its own limitations as well. Yeah, and they just if keep I, on. There's doing one that. point where he's got the the shotgun on someone and it runs out of ammo and he can't reload it, so he pulls out the pistol with his other hand and shoots <laughs> him with that. It's just you know, little things like that. There's there's one fight scene and I'm just gonna bring it up now. There's one fight scene. I think it's right before the mirror hall thing where he runs out of bullets and he throws the gun at someone's head. Yeah, I love. I actually love that. He runs out of bullets and just throws it at his face. Yeah, like that, that, that's I the mean tactic. that's perfect. That's exactly. Here I have an empty weapon. And a guy running at me with a gun. What do I do? Hey, it's made. It's, it's a he- you know, a gun's a heavy thing. It's made of metal. Yeah, Just you know, absolutely. <laughs> if you can dodge a wrench, you can dodge a ball. You know, same with a gun. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, I, yeah, and uh, I don't even know what fight scene this moment was in. Since we're just on fight scene moments, because I I, can't, mm-hmm. I have no idea which one this was. But he no. ended up like pulling a guy's head back and like sort of shooting him through the head, but from behind. Like he sort of he pulled his head back with his hair and pointed yeah. the gun up from the back of his head and shot him that way. I can't. I, I remember them. I could see it, but I can't yeah. remember where it is. Yeah, I like because a lot of little moments where it's hard to place what fight scene they were in. But the, you know, because mm-hmm. there's a few of them in the movie. But that yeah. that scene stuck out to me. But yeah, he's fighting his way out of all these guys. He gets up to the street. That's when Cassian shows back up again with his car, and they end mm-hmm. up sort of like fighting. You know, they're ducking a, a lot of innocent cars in the city are getting their windows smashed in uh, with yeah. them firing their guns at each other. And it's very kind of like they're just like going down a street and they're the opposite ends of the same cars and just kind of like mm-hmm. ducking and diving. They're, they keep on doing the thing where one character has a gun and they're just trying to angle it enough to shoot the guy. But then the other character is aware of that. And so they're keeping their arm facing forward. And it's a lot of empty shots fired off where they're unable to connect. But it's this is where I feel it gets the closest to the anti-John Wick where it shows two people of yeah, essentially yeah. the same caliber and fight strength. And this is where, because when I said in the last review that I remember them using the Continental even better in the second one, this mm-hmm. was one of the things I was talking about, where this fight, like, you know, John Wick was on his way to the Continental in Rome when he gets attacked by Cassian, and the fight sort of continues in that direction, and they actually end up going through the window into the Continental, and as soon as they land in the Continental, you know, the guy, you know, the head of the Continental in Rome is like, hey, uh, gentlemen, and they stand Rule number up. Number one, guys. <laughs> they stand up and they apologize and they agree to go to the bar and get a drink to to sort of cool down. And yeah. it just 
so and it was uh, smart from like a, a writing the sequel point of view and like yeah ian mcshane said it earlier but that show the audience like how adhe- how much they adhere to this rule that they were in a fight to the death but because they crossed this border they went through this window they crossed this line on the ground yep. and now they're in the continental they agree to start fighting and play nice and immediately they do it and it shows you kind of how adhering to the rules that john is the fact that this this you know villain's maybe not the right term here he's, he's an antagonist and he obviously wants john dead now because he yeah. killed his person but he's not necessarily someone who's doing this in a pet you respect cassian a lot more than any other villain in the movie because he's he's it's, more it's all it's all about the idea of he has a code yeah yeah so it, it so this reminds you of how important this rule is because later on when john breaks it it's going to feel like a big deal and this mm-hmm. is partly why it feels like a big deal is because they've used it here but it also sets up the idea that if someone wants to be safe they might run to the continental to stop yep. you know to stop the threat in their life more on that later so and this, this and is that, very smart setup for the end of the movie all this stuff yes absolutely and it it is, doubles down on it as well because not only is john sharing a drink with cassian but the whole time in the background of the scene ruby rose's character is also just sitting there. Like, yeah, it does that thing where Cassian walks out a shot and then just reveals her sitting behind them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, on the couch. I, they they actually they showed her sitting in the shot the entire time because I noticed her maybe about like twenty seconds into the scene. I'm like, oh sure, yeah. Is she going to be there at the end of this, or is this like a nice little Easter egg that I'm catching where she's just sitting there and then disappears in a later shot? But no, she's she's there the whole time, and this is I think the last moment where there was a brief period in there where it was three-sided where it was john against the sisters people against santino's people and after this scene cassian is kind of still representing the sisters people as like a third party but for the most part he just falls in line of the world against john wick well yeah because as soon as john gets out of this situation uh Mm -hmm. santino calls him and says, well, you have to understand, John, that I was going to have to deal with you, right? And uh, he just hung, hangs up. John just hangs up, which feels fitting, because that was, the, remember in the last movie where uh, the bad guy called him and John didn't say anything. This felt like just another version of that. Yeah. And immediately, Santino calls in the, the contract. And we get to see a little bit of how this works. <laughs> World building. That's, just, <laughs> that's Honest to God, that's just all this movie is, is this is... I don't want to say a masterclass because it, it, there are little points where it gets a fuzzy, but this is, I think, the best I've seen of explaining how a world works without just grabbing your audience by the hand and saying, okay, now pay attention to what the man on screen's about to say. Like, it just shows you this and it walks it through in a simple enough terms that it makes sense without anybody coming in and saying oh i placed the order with the main office or whatever well i mean because in the first movie the bad guy put a two million dollar contract on john and we hear about it and Mm -hmm. we know it's happening this movie we see the bad guy phone the 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 operator and we see like the paperwork being drawn up and it goes through the system and we see that it gets sent out to all the assassins phones and says hey there's an open contract on john wick for seven million dollars and it sets that up and it becomes this thing where john gets back to new york after being in rome and mm-hmm. as soon as he arrives like it sort of it intercuts like multiple fights because we i think when the, the the call goes out we see a bunch of people looking at phones we see like a violinist like this woman looking at her phone we see a big yeah. fat guy looking at his phone and when john arrives in new york we, it sort of intercuts him interacting with all these characters where mm-hmm. he's been attacked seemingly constantly since he's arrived and he's like fighting for his life the entire way 
and it escalates to the point where Cassian shows up. And honestly, I want to point out something here. There's a mm-hmm. really, like, the movie looks great. I don't think it looks better than the first movie. It was, the way it uses colors. Yeah. I agree. Even in the opening scene when he just gets out of the car, when he's, he's sort of hit the guy with the car, just the, the different colors of the neon lights and the street lights hitting the ground, you know, the wet ground. It's always a wet ground in a movie for whatever reason, <laughs> but it always is. Um, it, it looks great. There's one shot here, and I assume it's because they, they had to go back and get it, but it was too expensive to go back to the location where the fountain was, where they're having the stare uh, down. Yeah. Uh-huh. But there's a really dodgy green screen shot of like a close-up of John Wick looking at him, and I'm like, yeah. that is so like a composite. There is no way yeah. he was standing there when they shot that. <laughs> I don't know what it... I think it's like a blurry edge on Keanu's face, but I, I can't play... But it's... Yeah, it's definitely obvious. And they... They don't do the smart thing and just hold it there for like a half a second. They hold on it for a good like three, four seconds to really yeah. lay in oh. the drama. Because they're there obviously for the wide shots. I can only assume that they realized there was something wrong or they needed a close-up that they didn't have. And yeah. it was just too expensive to go back to this public place in New York or wherever they shot this particular scene. Which like I get, but at the same time, it's it's purposely zoomed in on the face and the background is so out of focus that I feel like you could have put anything back there. And it would have worked, but for some reason they green screen. Yeah, it. I, yeah, I feel like just putting like something that looks like a neon light, and then just have some extras walking back and forth out of focus yeah. would have yeah probably done it. Um, but instead the the green screened it or whatever, and it looks yeah, it, it, it looks like something someone's done with like an app on TikTok where they've said, "Oh, hey, now I've got this yeah. background behind me." That's it's, what it looked like. It looked really bad. It's the zoom thing where your entire background yeah, turns yeah. blurry, but then you put up your hand and it's like crap yeah exactly so yeah it's just it's just one little shot but it looks mm-hmm. so bad and, and it, it clearly it's not something they i assume it's not intentional it's just no they had to accept this because whatever reason um one scene that just a little bit jumped over is uh when i keep on forgetting his name santino i would keep on when I say santoni uh when <laughs> it's because his last name is Dan, d'antonio yeah it's santino, d'antonio. santino d'antonio anyway um because John completed the marker, he's brought in by Winston, and he's like, okay, sign it away. He did the job. And Santino's like, you do realize John's probably going to be, like, dead by the time he gets home? Like, I've put out this big hit on him. And then Winston's just like, yeah, sure. Anyway, sign the thing. Yeah, Like, that, he that, knows that, John is, like, not going to die from any of this. Oh, yeah. This is the scene where Winston's like, look, you forced him into this you're going to deal with the consequences, you little shit. Like, that that's mm. what this scene is. Yeah. Um, it's very harsh. It's very much like he knows that John's not going to be stopped by this prick. So Cassian and John have this face-off, and this is where we get the scene where they're sort of like, one's, like, I think John's up in like the higher walkway and Cassian's down the lower one, and they're, they're yeah, sniping flipped, little... But yeah. oh, okay. But they're sniping little uh, silencer pistol shots and look, as there's people walking past... Yeah, yep. it's, it's, there's nothing believable about it. It's kind of silly. It's fun from like a, a playful action scene perspective of like, oh, mm-hmm. if this was possible, this would be a fun little thing where they try to like assassinate each other in a crowded place. I do love no. though, mm-hmm. I do love because they're on opposite sides of the, the train platform and they get on the train and they have to sort of stand there and stare at each other while the train's full and then the train empties at the next stop and they get closer until they eventually start having this knife fight on the train. Yeah. I really, I really like that. There's a nice build, build up. There's a, it's almost like they have to stop for the quiet tension, and they're just mm. waiting for the, the the chaos to hit again. That stuff is really entertaining. Um, this is like a minor quibble. It doesn't bother me. Mm. I have never because they both get on the same train from different sides, like so they're on opposite platforms. 
I have mm-hmm. never been in any kind of train station, right? Well, a subway, regular train station, where you can get onto the same train from either side. There's always two tracks. And yeah. For, you know, for one train going that way, the other one going the other way. I've never been in a train platform where both sides can get on the same train car. I've never seen that in my life. I'm not going to say that you're wrong. The only thing I could think where it would work is if it's a loop and the train's only traveling in one direction. However, yeah, I can see that. But this perfectly counters that because they specifically say the stop at the end of the scene is the end of the line. (laughs) So I'm going to go ahead and. Yeah. yeah, but even tracks that are on a loop typically have two trains, one you know, going either direction. Yeah, probably. I don't know. I don't know enough about the New York subway system. So, sir, sir, I mean, the the one in uh, uh, Glasgow is like that. It's like it's basically just a circle, but you've got yeah. you've got one going either way. You know? I've I've been on the DC subway system, and it is exactly as you're describing it. One's going either way, and you would if you wanted to get on one going the other way, you'd have to go to the other platform like yeah, you have yeah. to go up the stairs and then down the other side yeah. so honestly i think it's just the thing of hey why wouldn't they kill them each other on the same platform if they both were about to board the same train no they're so gonna they be just wrong. had to put in this thing i'm cool with it because once they get on the train the scene where they're both sort of staring at each other with all these people mm-hmm. in between them is great it's a fun little tense moment yeah i'm into it's it the, it's the hitchcock bomb under the table thing where it's, we both know what's going to happen the moment they reach each other. It's yeah. the question of, when are they going to reach each other? Uh, so they have this day fight. This is one of the moments where I'm like, the people on the train that are left at either side of this car don't feel like they're backing away in horror that like they should be. They're just kind of watching as this like violent knife fight's playing out. <laughs> yes, but all of them are already like in the corners. Like they're, there's These yeah. guys are keeping the fight pretty centralized, and they're in the corners. And then when the train finally stops... They sprint out as fast as possible. Joe, Joe would have made this interesting to me, and I'm not complaining mm. they didn't do it, but it does kind of feel like you're, because these guys are both professionals and they have a code and all the rest of it, I do mm. get the impression that they wouldn't want to actually harm any innocent civilians, right, while they're oh, doing yeah. this. Mm. And I do think it would be interesting if at some point uh, like civilians got in the way and maybe it would have been interesting to see both of them go out of their way to like either like stop what was happening kill. to you know to, like both of them have got the code so both of them would like stop what they're doing to like make sure the person who was maybe almost going to get accidentally shot or stabbed wouldn't get shot or stabbed and it'd be this sort of like moment of no both of them agree on this we don't hurt civilians we we keep like you know that that's one of the things that i think makes it easy to sort of let yourself get carried away with the violence in this is that it's always other assassins that you shouldn't that it's always yeah. bad people with guns that are going to kill him if he doesn't do it first it's never just well, yeah. it was back during the first movie where um, Yosef kind of hid behind some of the people mm-hmm. in, like, the bathhouse scene that were not at all That's part true, of the yeah, game. yeah, that's right, yeah, and John but, obviously didn't shoot. <laughs> right, but obviously Yosef wasn't part of the game. Like, he didn't have the code. He wasn't someone who was part of the whole Hitman thing. So we got 50% of that, and it's obvious that John won't take the shot if it means getting his target, even if it means killing someone else. So... There is at least some level of that where they're not hurting yeah. civilians, but it I, is I, a question of... It's just, will... in, this, in the same way that we've introduced all these rules, I just think it would have been interesting mechanically. And I guess it was kind of used in that they weren't just fighting when there was a crowd of people in between them. Yeah. But it would have been very interesting if, like, Cassian might have had the killing blow, but kind of had to stop, and he chose to stop because it would have meant hurting someone else. I feel like the place where it would happen is probably a car chase scene. Where oh, it's, maybe, okay, yeah. I have my target, but then traffic's in the way. What do I do? Yeah. 
This could be interesting. Maybe they'll explore that more in yeah. um, later entries. One, one scene that happened just before this, and I say one scene, it was that intercut scene of mm-hmm. the three different hitmen trying to attack. The violinist, the, the violinist, sumo wrestler. Two, <laughs> sumo wrestler, and then just two random guys. But the two random guys were the ones who were killed by a pencil. That's right, that's and right. I, I think that it was exactly as we all imagined it to be, where he stabs one guy like through his ear and the other one at the base of his spinal cord. Mm-hmm. Just horribly violent, disgustingly gruesome, and absolutely amazing. <laughs> yeah, so John Wick wins the fight, obviously. It's very even, mm-hmm. but he ultimately wins. He does the thing that I liked in the first movie where he kind of hammers the knife in to sort of win the, mm-hmm. the fight. He doesn't kill him, though. He makes a point of saying that if you pull that knife out, you'll bleed to death. Yep. But, you know... I I have looked at everyone's character pages. Uh, not everyone's, but a lot of character pages here of seeing what else they start in. I am purposely avoiding commons because I don't want to know if he's going to show up in the next movie. I want that to be a surprise. I could see him show... I could even see him be an ally down the lane. Mm. Uh, yeah. Some camaraderie, perhaps, farming or whatever. But, um, yeah, so... Yeah, I mean, from here... Um, obviously, John Wick, he, he goes, he basically, he's getting chased by more assassins and he goes to hide uh, randomly. It seems random in the moment where he goes to this homeless guy and says, hey, I need to speak to your leader. <laughs> but he, he gives him one of the coins. He gives him one key. of the coins, yeah. Uh, and the guy does cover him up and like ends up killing the two assassins that are chasing John Wick and mm-hmm. takes him to Lawrence Fishburne, who is the king of the homeless, uh, yep. who are a network of people who are basically acting as spies. Which... <laughs> Like, I think I said last time how this movie, it it has this whole thing of like the secret underground world where there's all these rules and the normal people don't know about it. I love this little extra twist where it's like, (laughs) oh yeah, no, there are hitmen in this, but also the homeless are in on it as well. And like, I just imagine by the time we get to the next movie, it's like, oh, you really thought that waiters were just waiters? (laughs) yeah i mean i think this is the point where if if you were wanting this to feel realistic i think that Mm. all the homeless people are a network of secret spies is probably the point where it's like went over the line for you because it's like yeah we're in kind of absurd territory now um we see that he's putting it's like he's got these people like taking like chips out of phones and like having pigeons fly them away Mm. uh to i don't know communicate or to, to, to confuse where certain people are, maybe, or something? I don't know. Maybe. I know that SIM cards are used for, like, tracking, and also, the, like, the phone number itself is tied to a SIM card. Mm. So maybe it's just a matter of... I don't know. Yeah. What's interesting I, here is that we find out that uh, this character, played by Lawrence Fishburne, who's uh, credited as the Bowery King, that's his mm-hmm. uh, title, he says that he actually encountered John Wick when he was much younger, and John Wick mm-hmm. stabbed him in the neck and kind of gave him the same choice that Common had, effectively, where he's like, you can try and reach for your gun and I'll kill you, or, you know, you can keep the pressure on your neck and go and live. And clearly he did. So he's he's got this kind of interesting relationship with John Wick where, obviously, there's maybe a bit of a grudge for what he did to him, but at the same time, he kind of, you know, made him a better, smarter, yeah. you know, person as a result. Uh, so John Wick's like, hey, this prick, uh, Santino, is now on the table, and he is going to try and take the city. He wants to, like, take over New York. He wants to be the head of everything in the crime world. Which is what the sister said he would do yep, during yep. her original thing. Uh, which I think is kind of interesting, even at that point in the movie, you're like, 
you know that this guy is going to benefit from this in a way that's bad for everyone but john kind of oh, has yeah. to go through with it which arguably is even more of a reason for john to want to go and get revenge it's like it's not just about the revenge it's about making sure this awful person doesn't then you know gain control and make mm-hmm. everyone's life a misery i i do think there's an interesting way here that john at no point except for when he was going after gianna has ever been just business like in the first movie it was always vengeance it was never business to him and in this movie it's either about getting vengeance on santino for what he did or as you're saying possibly more about like the greater good of trying to Uh make it that at no point is it ever he has a job he does the job and he moves on except for the gianna scene yeah and even then he doesn't move on you know he and i think that's the point is that he doesn't want this to ever just be business again is he's like mm. he's, he's too emotionally uh he's he's, he's awoken Invested. from that i guess yeah. you know he's his life with his wife brought him away from that and he can't just do that as a job anymore uh i yeah. guess uh so basically he says look if he becomes in power you're going to end up going to war with him right and you're probably even if you somehow survive you're going to lose lots of men there's going to be so much bloodshed he and also, me... he is technically a member of the high table, which yeah. will fight for their own. And if you help me, I'll kill him, and they'll come after me. The table will be mad, but they'll come after me and not you, which is his incentive. So he gives him a gun, but only gives him seven rounds. And he's like, seven rounds? Well, it's a $7 million contract on your life, $1 million <laughs> billet. And what I love so much about this is that as soon as he gets this gun, I'm thinking... All right, they've told me seven bullets. I love that mechanically. I love that, okay, yep. each bullet's going to be so important. It's going to be so... We're going to count that how... Each time he uses one, each time's going to be a big deal. Yep. He walks into the art gallery where Santino is, and he uses all seven bullets, and what I'm going to guess is less than seven seconds. He just oh, fires absolutely. them all off, kills, like, four henchmen, and then just grabs one of their guns and goes to town. Like... Yeah. I'm like, do you know what? That's right. He just takes one of their guns after he uses the seven bullets. Makes perfect sense. It really is just the perfect (laughs) subversion of expectations there where they specifically point out seven bullets and they they hold on that for a while. They specifically have a period between when he gets the seven bullets to the point where he starts firing. And it's probably a good two, three minute section. Not long enough that you've forgotten about the seven bullets, but just long enough to make you think, okay, we're building up and it's going to be one bullet at a time. He's really got to pick his battles here. And then just immediately throws them away. Just like, all right, stop keeping count, you nerds. Start paying attention to the fight. <laughs> well, I think what's so good about this is that, you know, and Santino thinks he's untouchable. And John goes to his art gallery opening. He just walks in, stares him down, and immediately starts coming for him. And we get the big fight scene that goes to the art gallery. He takes out yeah. a bunch of guards in some of the regular rooms. Obviously, it's when he gets to the the fancy exhibit, which is the Hall of Mirrors, that you know Re- things get really reflection wacky. Reflection of the soul, or something like that. Yeah, Ruby Rose ends up getting stabbed eventually by the end of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, John, now, I think Ruby Rose, they pretty much make the last person. She yeah. is the final. She is the big muscle that needs to be defeated at the end. Do you think she earned that position over the course of this movie? I think she was a constant enough presence that seemed to be. Go- <sighs> I mean, decently enough. Like, she she was less mm. likable than, like, cause, because Cassian had a code. He was more of a kind of an interesting counterpart to John, whereas she was like, no, she clearly had it out from the second she ever laid her eyes on him. Yeah. Uh, that was kind of the idea. She, she struck me as 100% devoted, maybe not to 
Santino himself, but at least to her job of defending Santino. And so she really wanted to like prove herself. There's multiple times where she comes up to Santino and she's like, Hey, I messed up. I'm going to fix this. Yeah. Uh, and the scene's obviously a lot of fun, him going through the mirrors and Mm -hmm. it, it, it gives you this really sort of like weird futuristic setting in like a John Wick movie, which is you're otherwise set in the real world. So you get this Mm -hmm. really, it's same with the rave, the rave and the, the, uh, even the, the caverns underneath Rome, very different locations, very different sort of, uh, background and visuals, if nothing else to yeah. have the action play out but ultimately it's after this where the real meat is and you know unlike the first movie which had the the guy you hated be killed like half an hour before the end and then mm. there's this other stuff that comes after no the the crescendo happens at the right time in this movie mm. uh, we see santino go into the continental and basically say you know as the boss here and he goes up and then john wick comes in pretty much right after well I I don't want to skip over this scene. Santino walks in and talks to Winston first and basically starts making demands. And Winston's like, screw you. You can (laughs) you get all the rules that anyone else gets, but you're not allowed to come in here and make demands. I think he asks for John to be excommunicated. And Winston's like, he didn't break any rules. And Winston's like, well, I or and Santino tells him, well, I can make this demand as a high table. And He's like, you can't do anything. Yeah, you can't do that shit. Yeah, no, which is satisfying. It makes you like Winston a bit because obviously mm-hmm. Winston at least sticks to his rules. Like he's very consistent. He's he sticks to the rules yep. he set out. He clearly likes John. He clearly gives John advice when he thinks he needs it uh, mm-hmm. as best he can. Uh, so John comes in. He wants to see Santino, and he comes up to like you know, the, the 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 lounge sort of area where he's sitting, and he's sitting eating duck and. Mm-hmm. He basically is making a point here where Santino's like, he puts a bit of duck in his mouth. He's like, oh, it's so good. The menu's great here. I could eat here every day for a long time and never eat the same thing twice. And he's basically saying, I'm a chicken shit and I'm going to hide in the Continental where you can't kill me. And yep. I think what's so great about this is the whole point of this character is that he is this entitled guy who thinks he can be protected by his status, by the family that he was born into. And he's saying, I'm untouchable. And, you know, and kind of like, I'm a one percenter kind of way almost, right? Yeah. Which is why it's so effing satisfying when John mm-hmm. Wick doesn't even let him finish his sentence. He just shoots mm-hmm. him in the head <laughs> and just kills him. And yep. and you can tell like, when he walks in with a gun in his hand, Winston's like, John, like, he, he knows yep. that there's a chance that he might break the rule here. Like, he knows, like, he knows that John respects the rules, but he knows that John's pissed enough that mm-hmm. he's like, it doesn't matter what the rules are. The consequences are coming for you. You're not untouchable. You think you're untouchable. And I think that's why this kill is so satisfying. There is something cathartic about someone powerful thinking they're untouchable and can get away with anything only for the hero to say, no, you're not. I Honestly, I think what hit me the most for this kill is not only that catharsis hitting you, but at the exact same time, that feeling of dread. Oh, yeah. Like, where- because we consequences. know what happens. Yeah. We've seen it in the last movie. We know what happens when you're excommunicated. So not only are you happy for John that he's like, yes, you did it. At the same moment, you're just going, at what cost? Which, again, they set up over the two movies how much of a big deal this is. You do not fight. You do not kill mm-hmm. in the Continental. And he's just broken that rule. And it means something because they've really built it up over the two movies. Yep. So um, he's he basically... It's his dog. Yeah, he goes against his dog. He's like, okay, you know, come for me whenever. And uh, Lance Reddick comes and picks him up and drives him. And I think it actually is the same location that uh, Perkins was killed 
uh in the, the first movie not the exact same because they're, they're more at the fountain but in yeah. the background you can see kind of the arches i think that was the same location it might be i don't yeah. know I'd i think it was check. the same location uh just a little bit you know further out but you know i mm-hmm. think you can see where she was killed in the background anyway yeah. uh and this is the thing, like, the demeanor here is very different. Like, you can tell that Winston understands why he did what he did, but he's like, look, these are the rules, you're excommunicated, the contract on you has been doubled, so it's not 7 million, now it's 14 million. Yep. But I've put a delay on it, right? B- because I res- because he respects him, because he understands him, he's like, look, the contract's not live until 60 minutes. You've got an hour. You've got an yep. hour before every assassin is coming for you, because now you're a high-valuable target. And presumably some of them also really believe in the system and like care about defending the Continental, probably. Yeah. So maybe there's some sort of, uh, you know, uh, maybe some some of them might some care idealists. more. Some idealists. Yes, idealists. Some of them might care more than, than just the money. Mm. Uh, and it, it makes a point here that everyone here is an yeah. assassin because they all stop it's, moving. It's, <laughs> God, that scene. That scene caught me so off guard because it is, it is, you know, it's a public place. There are just everyone's walking around everyone looks completely different from each other and then winston basically just nods his head one person makes a call and then everyone in eye shot stops and just stares at john and it's just i think that's when because yeah up till this point in the movie john was feeling pretty invincible and he accepted there would be consequences but i think that he still thought and i will get through all of that too like and i will be able to take on anybody who comes after me i mean i think he says yeah like you know whoever they send i'll kill them like, yeah. i'll, I'll well, kill says, them all he says that after this part as well but i think yeah. there's a moment where john is genuinely shook and he he realizes like oh i i even i can't handle this and this also, is too much and he also makes it clear that you can't go to our armors anymore you can't go to our, mm-hmm. any of our facilities you can't get any supplies from us you get no help from the system anymore he's on yep. his own he's rogue uh, Which is specifically why I think the Bowery King is going to be a bigger thing yeah, I in can the see third that. movie, because he's, he seems to be outside of the established system. So, it does a great job of, you know, because the, the end of the movie is just him running, you know, as as members of the public may or may not be assassins as he's going through the park, you know? Yeah, he, he goes through the park and people are just checking their phones and then, like, looking up at him, and he's taking that as a sign of, everyone is about to kill me. Yeah. <laughs> Honestly, like, part of me, and I'm, I mean, obviously it was a right choice not to do this, but part of me even wanted, like, like a five-year-old to look up at him, like, <laughs> even the five-year-old might be an assassin. <laughs> The five. I mean, I, I think they could have pulled it off. It was just the five-year-old looking at him as he was sprinting down. But it didn't have to be five-year-old looks at his phone and then, like, reaches behind his back or something like that. Yeah. But, you know, it ends with him running with the dog. Uh, so it kind of mm-hmm. ends with a similar shot to the first movie. But this time it's in daylight. He's running. He's scared. Uh, yeah. The dog's keeping up with him impressively. Uh, <laughs> so... Yeah, no, I mean, as far as sell for the third... I, I remember finishing this the first time I watched it and going, you know what, I'm kind of hyped for the third one. And I said that as... As, so, I, as someone who watched the first one and was a little underwhelmed because the hype was too big, I got to the mm-hmm. end of the second one and went, you know what, no, I'm game for a third one. I'm kind of excited about where they're going with this. Which is why I have to ask, because you said you never watched the third one. Why yeah. did you not... What, what I kept just, you from completing I, the hype? I just never got around to it. I don't know, it came out... Because okay. I, saw, I saw two when it came out, pretty much, so... It wasn't there ready to watch, you know. Where, mm. I mean, that I mean, two wasn't ready to watch when I started. The, you know, I saw the first one yeah, a I little bit in advance as well. But like, uh, I don't know. I just it came out, and for whatever reason, I think I don't know. I can't remember. 
I just I never got I around mean, to it, and then you know, here I we mean, are. With, I'm, I mean, I know that I'm going to be watching this within the next three days, just because of our filming schedule here. But I, I mean, I couldn't imagine seeing that ending and then saying, "Yeah, you know, third one came out. I'll catch it eventually." Instead of like, a, "How does he escape this?" I mean, I'm looking forward to watching it on a you know in a few days' time. Like, I, I'm yeah. excited to finally see it. Uh, and then if the third one ends in a cliffhanger, then great, because the fourth is like. <laughs> right behind it <laughs> see i feel like the third one is probably going to do the same thing the first one did where it wraps up its relevant plots mm. but just leaves one or two things yeah, that I'm... could be expanded on because four and five are green lit together and maybe even shot back to back i feel like four may end with like a cliffhanger like the same sort of cliffhanger yeah. yeah i could see four and five feeling like a two-parter as well oh yeah uh but you know i, I think this it expanded the world, which we've said repeatedly. I, I think it played with its mechanics, and it always felt like John's being challenged, and he ultimately breaks the rule because, and it feels like the right thing to do in the moment for the audience. I think. I think oh, the yeah. audience are like, "No, nah, get him, just get him," because he well, it feels like the right thing to do because it's an abuse of the rules. It's, yes, he's he's taking advantage of this rule that was never supposed to be used as a permanent like stay away from the killing you were always supposed to check out of the hotel it's funny that you know obviously this is a criminal underworld system and all that but it's kind of funny how it mirrors the real world system and that he's mm-hmm. using the system and hiding behind it to keep safe when everyone knows he deserves is, deser- is guilty you know he's deserving yeah. of everything that is coming for him but he's, he's hiding behind the system so even inside this like subset underworld where it's the criminal and the hitman and all this stuff there's still corruption in it and there's still like a need to sort of like break it down and sort of rebuild it and you know that, yeah. so it's satisfying to see john wick do that uh so yeah i mean i would have to assume based off of this movie and then going into the next movie that the general plot would be going against the high table itself i think that that's the only way that he because the only reason he got off of his seven million dollar contract is because he killed the person who put it on him so the only way he's going to get out of this 14 million dollar contract is to kill the high table because they're the ones who put it on him and now that he is excommunicated there's nothing really stopping him from doing that there's no code of honor against like attacking higher ups or anything like that. i mean that i definitely think we're it. going to get to that point by the fifth movie i don't know if the third one's going to be him going after the table but i definitely see it happening that's fair you know i could definitely I just, see it i guess i just besides it being a general survive the world attacking you movie i just i wonder who the main sort of antagonist would be oh that's a good question i know halle berry's in the next one okay i don't know what she's uh, playing though i don't know who she well, is didn't, didn't uh ballerina get greenlit off of three because obviously in this movie nothing related to ballerina came out like, there is yeah, no but character that would have been. That's so, not Halle Berry, though. That's, uh, that's not Halle Berry? No, 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 no. I want to say it's okay. Anna Diarmas, but I could be okay. wrong. Uh, I think I think they confirmed that John Wick's going to be in that movie. I would think so. It's yeah. the best way to do a spinoff, so. Yeah, well, they don't always do that. Sometimes it'll just be like, okay, it's loosely connected because of this plot point, but it's most, mostly going to just be this new character. Yeah. Like, they sometimes do that. Uh, but that's always the weakest kind of spinoff, in my opinion, where it's like, oh, you know, it's over there, and our character's mm. over here, and whatever. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see how they do that. Maybe it's not... John McToo's review is not the time to speculate that, but I'm just wondering how yeah. they, like, alter the fighting style a bit for someone who's even more, sort of, 
small, athletic, and quick, potentially. Like, I could see them really playing with that in the action scenes. Yeah. Because I mean, it's, if it's, it's it, probably going to be a lot less flipping and holding down people. I but. mean, as quick as John Wick is, you know, he's still a man in his 50s, whereas this is going mm-hmm. to be like a woman, like, not even in her 30s yet, you know. Yeah. <laughs> so I could see it being a lot more agile, I suppose, mm-hmm. is maybe what I'd say. I guess my one hope is that it is still choreography based and doesn't go into like spy stuff oh i'd hope so too i i, I would expect so mm. but uh but anyway we'll this movie yeah pretty good i think it takes all the strengths of the first one i think it adds to them i think mm-hmm. ultimately i felt the pacing was better i think it it crescendoed exactly when it was supposed to um i think the even though i would say that the character in the first movie was a bit more of a scumbag that i, I i'd say i hated him more the villain you know the, yeah. the you know the main one who killed the dog I think in this movie, the actual kill of the villain is more satisfying. I think the actual moment is better. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, that was just our complaint from last movie, is that the kill of the main quote-unquote villain in the first movie was completely in the wrong spot. It didn't feel as big as it should have. But this one, it like you said, pacing-wise, perfect spot for it. And the fact it was it wasn't a fight scene. It wasn't... We just got done with a huge fight scene. We yeah. had our big moments in that. This was a single shot, and that's all it needed to be. And it, yeah, and it shouldn't have been a fight scene. Like, and that was mm-hmm. one of the other complaints about the, the last movie is that they had this fight scene at the end with a character who didn't f- feel like they set up could do this. So yeah. it made se- sense this guy was just a slimy weasel who was hiding behind a shield only for mm-hmm. Johnny to say, I don't give a shit about your shield. Yeah. So, you know, that's satisfying. So mm-hmm. uh, that was a good time. Um, so um, one thing I wanted to bring up, just it never fit in anywhere. Mm-hmm. John didn't name the dog. No, he didn't. He kept being asked that he never named it. Yeah, I, that's surprising to me. And maybe points towards more of it's only been like a few days rather than a month. But yeah, I, I did expect by the time we got to the end of this movie, the dog would have a name. I thought like Lance Reddick's character would have given him a name somehow. Yeah, maybe he'll name him at the end of the third one or something. It'll be like the, yeah, a big maybe. climactic point where he's like, you know what, I'm going to name my dog and then name him after... Helen 2. <laughs> yeah, so... No, I guess it's time to rate the movie, but it's just a really yeah. solid sequel that I think uh, ups all the right things. It's, mm-hmm. It is technically a little more cartoony in some ways, but I actually welcomed that because I thought the first one was a bit too self-serious, so... Yeah, I think the first one did a good job of bringing people... It it started as a drama and then got to the point of, okay, but like you're invested in the character because of that dramatic element, so then we can just do full action. This movie just took advantage of the fact of, we already got you hooked in the first movie. You know what this character is about. We're just going to lay on the action. Yep, yeah. All right, what are you rating John Wick Chapter 2? All right, so I gave the last one an eight, and I do think that this one is better. I do think that this one, with the world building, I love every aspect of that. I'm always a sucker for that sort of stuff, as long as it remains consistent um, and doesn't seem too outlandish, I will always give that credit. Again, the only minor nitpick I had here is that I felt the choreography was less about the fighting itself and more about the place it was taking place in but that's just kind of what i want to see out of it it's not an inherent negative within itself so overall i'm going to give this one 8.5 uh still not quite breaching the nine but it was definitely a slight mark above the last one 
Yeah, I give the last one a seven. So very solid. Obviously, a lot of great qualities. Uh, I am going to go with an eight for this one. I, I think this is okay. the this one sort of dips up into great territory, which is where I kind of see an eight. And I, I think it just feels like a more full fledged movie. I just it was more like I came out of it. Even if you can technically nitpick a few like little things. I came out of it feeling much more satisfied without any big criticisms of like, oh, like the ending felt a bit weird or yeah. whatever. So, um, yeah, 8 out of 10 from me. Uh, best of the franchise so far. And it's only 2 now, in, admittedly. But, question. Yeah. Is it a cut above or does it make the cut? I, think I don't think the, we're going to argue for below that. But. No, I think it just makes the cut. I don't think it's a it cut above. All right, fair enough. Uh, I, I, think think it, that, I think that if it... It's strange in that I'm putting my hopes on the third one, but if the third one managed to just perfectly stick the landing, I would almost go back and say that the entire thing needs to be a cut above. Mm. Like, I could see this being just one of those movie series that is absolutely, like, has to be a part of the collection, but it only works if the entirety of the plot manages to work together. Interesting. Well, we'll see. I don't know. I've not seen the third one. Uh, yeah, this will right. be uh, fresh for both of us, uh, and then we watch four with the rest of the world and yeah. see how that is. But uh, yeah, uh, don't worry. Like even though we're doing all these together, when the fifth one comes out, when the spinoff comes out, we will mm-hmm. at various points slot in standalone movies that are sequels to move franchises that we've already done. Because yeah. uh, we can't do them again. That'd be silly. <laughs> so. Uh, <laughs> So don't worry, like future sequels will happen. Uh, they'll just be sort of like little standalones in between other seasons uh, in yep. the future. Still waiting for that Dirty Harry 5? 6. 6, damn. It's not even been that long. You've already forgotten there was five of those. I mean, wasn't the last one the one with the dog in it? Or was that? No, that was four. Forgetting one? That there was were four. too many. There were too five many. Five was the uh, toy car chase. Oh, that's right. Yeah, I don't. I don't regret forgetting that. <laughs> it's the best scene in cinematic history. How dare you forget that toy car chase? Oh, I do want to point out Lawrence Fishburne's wonderful delivery of like six different lines in this movie, but more specifically, the "Somebody please get this man a gun." <clears throat> that was the best line read of this whole movie, hands down. Yeah. And then it was stolen by Marvel a couple of movies later when they're like, get this man a shield. Wow. <laughs> oh, dear. All right, that's John Wick Chapter 2. Uh, let us know what you think of this one in the comments. Like, subscribe, ding the bell, all that stuff. Uh, obviously worth mentioning, you can get a bonus episode over at patreon.com slash TV, $3 and up. Uh, the bonus movie to go along with this month's stuff was uh, Peppermint, starring Jennifer Garner. Uh, and we also have a second bonus show monthly called Extra Reels, Collectors Cut Extra Reels, where we do like a, a So Bad It's Good B-movie. Uh, so there'll be a few of those episodes up by now. So yeah, go go back and get the back catalogue of the bonus episodes, plus bonus stuff for other shows like uh, The Screams After Midnight and The Atomic Cinema Experiment, which are the other shows that come from Male Fuzz Movies. Uh, go check out those podcasts if you haven't. Um, but uh, yeah, you can get all that over at patreon.com slash TV. I will thank our Patreon producers while I'm saying that as well. Uh, so thank you very much to Tyler Hess and the Palacios, Bored Now, Christopher Moy, David Brown, and Al Treisman. And thank you to all our patrons for supporting the content. You can, of course, support everything by liking, subscribing, dinging the bell for notifications, or of course, rating the podcast five stars on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast from. Uh, all of that is good stuff. And uh, you can get us on Twitter at Streams Midnight. 
uh you know check the description for all the all the relative links and whatnot but uh that is uh that is the show that is the collector's cup uh we are halfway through uh our john wick season so only growing from here yep so thank you very much once again for watching or listening we always appreciate it keep watching movies and um uh, uh, i don't have any quotes from this one to somebody please get this man a quote